Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Ball loose. Stevenson for three. Give me one, Lance. Stevenson ties it with 1.6. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Halliburton at the buzzer. Captain Kutch with another one. Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes. Halliburton leaves it off for Batase. Go, go. Good job. Oh, what a move by Heald. He lays it in. Heald. Hotter than fish grease. Dropped it off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Jackson the catch. Jackson the basket. Washington again. Five of them. Pacers got the steal. Outrunning his Brissett. Outs it all. It's it to Taylor. Taylor missed it. Tips it in. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. Halliburton going to slam it at the other end. Happy last day of March to you, everybody. April is almost among us, and the Pacers season is almost over. You're listening to Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, joined today by my lovely co-host. I know he hates when I say that, but it's been a minute. I haven't said it in a while. The biggest Wizards fan that I know. Oh, man. What, what an intro here. Just... <laughs> Well, he breaks out the lovely. Then he goes for the Wizards. Hey, everybody. I'm happy to be here. Look, the season, it's gotten tough. But you know what? We always have some news popping up, whether it's good or bad. And Alex, uh, we had a pretty interesting article come out today. Yeah, so I would say friends of the show. You guys have heard them multiple mm-hmm. times on our podcast. Scott Agnes, of course, covers the team for the Fieldhouse Files. And then Michael Scotto with Hoops Hype uh, on Michael Scotto's Hoops, Hoops Hype podcast. Excuse me, that's a tongue twister to say. Um, he had on Scott Agnes, and they talked about some of the players in the upcoming free agency and, and, and the draft and whether or not these players fit long-term. And so um, I don't know if anybody got a chance to listen to it or not, but me and Fachi wanted to kind of just like break down some of the thoughts that we had from it. So I guess, Fachi, let's start off here with Miles Turner because that's who they started off with talking about. Um, it appeared that, uh, according to Scott, that they could potentially get a uh, – you know, a lottery protected first round pick for Miles still. Obviously, it's up in the air knowing that he is going to be a pending free agent in 2023. So what were your thoughts on what they had to say about Turner? And what are your thoughts on Turner? Man, look, uh, to hear we're talking about a lottery protected first round pick for Miles Turner. I mean, no one's going to, no one, no Pacer fans going to jump out of their seat and say, like, we got to take that deal because it just feels that. Right now, Turner's value is probably at the lowest it's been. I know we're talking about, you know, A, we haven't seen him in, in a little bit. But B, also, he's going into a contract year. Um, you know, he's had injuries the last two seasons. I'm not really excited about picking up another, you know, late pick, uh, especially one that could be, you know, what, whether it's pick 20, maybe it's later than that. So we're at a crossroads over here. Scotto thought that basically either extend Turner or trade him. And they mm-hmm. said they could always, you know, revisit at the deadline. Man, it feels like a crime to not be able to see Turner with Tyrese Halliburton. So 
I wouldn't be surprised if the Pacers do ride this out and then check the value come the deadline. Because to be honest, don't you probably think the Pacers could still get a lottery protected first round pick at the deadline if they look to move Miles Turner? Yeah, I mean, if they can get that for Karis LeVert, if they can get it for Miles, I think they're totally different players. But I think Miles fits position of need more. And I thought it was interesting because Scotto mentioned and uh, the same teams keep popping up from Always. the executives he's talked to, Charlotte, Toronto, and Dallas. And then Scott Agnes said he's heard the same thing, but he also threw in there that the Lakers had made calls on him previously, as well as um, as well as um, where, why am I missing who else uh, he said would have done that? Um, but there is no oh, Atlanta. That's who it was. Atlanta, me. Yep. Atlanta. Sorry, but Atlanta was the other team, and the Lakers were another one that had called on him previously. Obviously, Atlanta has Clint Capella. The Lakers have nothing the Pacers really want on their roster that they'd be willing to trade. Um, but he also did say that if he did get traded to Dallas, that that would be pretty interesting for him because that's his hometown. I can see that. Um, it's always interesting when you hear like teams like Toronto needing a center because obviously they've kind of just uh, made it work with who they have out there. They've got a really in intriguing team. I'm not sure what you'd get back in return for him. But both Agnes and Scott have kind of looked at this extension and what's looming if he gets it you know cool if he doesn't what does that mean and I think Scott Agnes hit the nail on the head here when he basically just said you know he said my belief going into the next season is you either have to trade or extend him you're not going to bring him back entering the final year of a contract I doubt that would happen I guess you could still trade him at the trade deadline my current thinking is they'll bring him back coming off an injury and they'll finally be able to see what he looks like with the new face of the team at Halliburton and I agree with that you bring him back let him Number one, get his trade stock up, hopefully, if he's healthy. Two, if he's a great fit, you put him with Tyrese Halliburton and, and make it work. And if none of that happens, then you don't sign him to a long-term contract. You trade him at the deadline, and, and you just rip that Band-Aid off and move forward. Yeah, look, like I mentioned, a protected first-round pick in the NBA, like it, it's just not worth that much when you at least didn't get to see Miles Turner featured. So – I at least want to test it out. I want to see where we're at with that. I'm not in a rush to extend him given the injury history. I know there's always the, the pro Turner side where people could hear that and be like, well, why would we let him go? Look, I'm not saying we're letting him go, but we need to see something. We have to. And I, and I think even if it's just for half the season, it would be enough of a sample size that if, if there is a next level for him. So, uh, you know, look, Charlotte <laughs> – Whenever I think of Charlotte and their love for Miles Turner, I always imagine <laughs> that that meme where like they open up a locker and it's just a picture of Miles Turner. And like, I don't know if Jordan's open, Michael Jordan's opened up the, the locker or if it's just the front office, whatever it is, man, they've had that love for Turner for so long. And then look, Dallas, I, I could appreciate or respect if Miles ever wanted to go home over there and be happy because I know, I know what that's like. Players and even fans love a good, you know, coming home reunion. So, you know, I've enjoyed Miles' time as a Pacer. I do not think it's over yet. Crazy things have happened, but I'm in no rush to ship him out for a lottery protected pick. Yeah, I think I think one of the cons to waiting to trade him at the deadline is teams knowing that he will be a free agent in the offseason, so they won't be willing to give up as much to get him um, if they feel like they could just sign him in free agency. Now, I'm sure there's teams that would just be like, hey, we're going to get him or we're going to extend him as soon as possible if they feel like he's that guy that they want long-term. And we talked about this on one of our last podcasts. You know, Miles just want to be wanted. That's all that he's ever really asked for is like, give me a bigger role on offense. Let me showcase my skill set and, and don't hinder me. But I do think that could be a, a bit of a negative uh, impact. That could have a negative impact on Turner 
um, or for the Pacers returning, uh, getting in what they get in return for Turner, just because if I'm a team like Dallas, I know he would like to play in his hometown. Am I really going to give up anything worth value to the Pacers? You know, maybe a, maybe a protected pick because I mean, if you get Dallas's pick, you're probably looking at a 20 pick, you know, 20 to 30 range. So nothing, nothing to write home about. I mean, I know this 2023 draft class is supposed to be super awesome, but you know, at, at the same time, there's so many different scenarios here. Similar to Brogdon, we talked about it. I don't think it would actually – I think it would make more sense to give him like a two-year extension and then if it doesn't work out by the deadline, then trade him knowing that he only has two more – knowing that he has two years left, similar to Levert. That way, um, teams that trade for him know they at least get him for multiple years, not just for two months. Yeah, I definitely get it. In in terms of Miles' standpoint, this man's going to cash in. He is. I, I think that this is his best shot – at a deal where it it still feels like there's a lot of the well in the right situation, maybe he could be much more, you know, that type of thing where you're capitalizing on the contract. Who knows what happens from there? You know, we've seen guys get overpaid. There's a chance that could come with Turner. Turner yeah. has, a, has an opportunity to get overpaid. And yeah, when you're Indiana, I, I just don't know if you want to be the team that does that. So I need to see him with Halliburton to see if there is a next level to his game rather than just, speculating about it but uh yeah that's kind of my stance on, on miles but in terms of brogdon i mean did you have any more to add to miles or did you want to move over to the brogdon part no i'm i think we've talked a lot about miles over the last couple of months mm-hmm. and even leading up to the trade deadline i'll share some more thoughts in the offseason as we get closer to potential trades happening and rumors out there and stuff like that but um i think we're just beating a dead horse at this point <laughs> Oh, absolutely. So, you know, as I mentioned for Brogdon, I mean, you know, Scott, when he went through it, he talked about that he's owed $67.6 million over the next three years. You know, pretty much went into a lot what we were talking about the other day, other than uttering the lines, beauties in the eye of the beholder. But, <laughs> you know, no, he mentioned that at age 29, that he doesn't feel like that Brogdon is necessarily a fit for a rebuild. Center, a retool could be different, but only the Pacers are really juggling along those terms, retool, rebuild, you know, build on the fly. They have all those different terms for it. Bottom line, we're not ready to seriously compete. And I think that Brogdon's probably someone right now. I mean, it goes without saying he's not getting any younger, but at this point, this is probably his opportunity to go to a contender. And I think that, it's it's far more likely that the Pacers do move Brogdon than they move Turner. And I just think given the injury history, given the direction of the team, I don't think this is a secret. I definitely think that Brogdon is going to be someone who's attracting a lot of teams calling. And I think this might be the situation where the Pacers take maybe a little bit less value, maybe more of a protected pick rather than, you know, the, the Turner situation where I don't think it makes much sense for you know, getting the 25th overall pick in the draft. Yeah, and I think also, too, when it comes to Brogdon, we, we talked about it last podcast and, like, does the resting hurt his trade value? And I said, no, it actually probably helps it. Well, I think the Pacers are kind of being smart. Like, sure, they want to lose games. I think that's the ultimate goal to try to get the best draft pick possible. But in the same time, everybody knows Brogdon's healthy right now. And so by them just resting him, there's no chance of him getting hurt in a game, which also improves his trade value. I think that's something to just – bring up I think that's a fair point uh something that we really haven't talked about so um I really like what Scotto said though here he said some executives believed his contract extension and being under team control for three seasons looking uh looking ahead makes him more appealing others 
were scared off and a little bit on yep. the fence due to his injury history. And so we, that's how me and you have been. So we've been on oh, yeah. both sides. So it's cool to see that there's executives that agree with both of our takes. So mm-hmm. like you said, it's just an opinion. Nobody's right or wrong. Um, he said one executive specifically mentioned that Indiana traded their best player in Demonte Sabonis for a younger player in Tyrese Halliburton, who plays the same position as Brogdon. To him and other executives on a broader scale, it signaled a change in the direction of the franchise and that Brogdon could be more expendable. Those executives certainly think that the teams are going to be after him to try and get an upgraded point guard and that Indiana would certainly be willing to listen. And so hearing all that, I, I think if there's any pacer that feels like they're the most likely to get traded, to me, it's got to be Brogdon. Got to um, be. He's just, as much as I like Brogdon on court, and we talked about underappreciating him to a certain degree, can't stay healthy. I don't necessarily think... He's a great team leader. That's just my opinion because the team's been in flux since he's been here. Um, three head coaches since he's been here. He's kind of been deemed the leader of the team, and it feels like this team has desperately needed a leader. So I think that kind of showcases more so about him. That's just me reading the tea leaves. So you guys can disagree with that if you do. But um, I think he's a good player. He's going to turn 30. Doesn't really make sense here long term. I know they're not going to go into a rebuild completely. It's more of like a reshaping, whatever you want to call it. But <laughs> another term right there. Yeah, reshaping, yep. you know, modifying, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's stupid. Just get me off this bridge here, Fachi. It's just yep. we're trying to make this team better for the for the future and for the now. And I just don't think Brogdon here long term makes sense. No, look, with every year I grow a little bit colder. And with that, you know, I, I feel like, hey. Brogdon, I'm sorry, and I definitely appreciate that you <laughs> wanted to come to Indiana. But in the end, you know, things didn't work out the way that we hoped. Not that it's his fault or anything like that, but we're going in two totally different directions. It's one of those, hey, it's not you, it's me. And, and me being the Pacers in this situation, we're just we're going to have to go in a different direction. And I don't see us seriously contending, you know, for it all in the next three years when Brogdon's under contract. But a player that we bring in, could potentially be here longer than three years, whether it's a young player that we can sign on a, you know, a deal where we could re-up someone that we would have their rights to, like, for instance, in that Halliburton situation where he's got a couple of years, but you know we'll also be able to ink him to an extension. Um, you know, one of those players that can help, you know, build something sustainable over here. So for Brogdon, I think the Pacers are playing it perfectly, keeping him healthy. There's a couple of games you know, why even throw them out there for even one more game? But I know I, I've talked with people on Twitter, and it's like, you got to come up with some type of reason, you know, to not play him in these games because it just looks fishy. It looks fishy yeah. right now. When you say rest, and this guy's been resting so much, you know, you, you think he might be your grandpa, you know? So at this point, you know, he, he's got to be well-rested. I'll tell you that. I mean, he, he snoozed. But at this point, when we already threw out there that – whatever the reason was like getting back in game shape or getting his conditioning up. And then it just said rest after that for the next three games. It's like, Ooh, just, just shut it down. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what they're doing. I think, I think only reason that he's been on the rest uh, injury report is like, if they weren't able to fill eight players because other guys did suffer an injury, he would probably play or have to be like the eighth person to play just to kind of, suit up eight because of what you have to do. So, I mean, that that to me is why they have it. Like, shut them down like Warren and Turner. Like, these guys had significant injuries. Brogdon hasn't. So then they'd have to, like, actually, like, file some kind of injury that's not real. So, I mean, a rest is as honest as it gets, right? So it's like, 
Um, it's interesting. But let's move over to Buddy Hill because this was an interesting person to talk about. And I and I want to kind of just look at Buddy versus Malcolm here because if you think about the age thing, you're like, well, why, why would Buddy Hill fit on this team, right? I mean, and I would just point out two reasons why, maybe three reasons why that I think Buddy Hill makes more sense to keep long-term over a guy like Malcolm Brogdon. I think number one, his role. Malcolm Brogdon is going to think he is the guy on this team. Even if he knows Halliburton is the future, he's still going to think it's his team. I I think Buddy Hill knows this is not his team. So I think he'd be willing to accept a lesser role, whether that's starting or coming off the bench, whatever it is, I think he'd be more adaptive to it. Number two, Buddy Hill is an Ironman Fachi. This man plays every single game, doesn't get hurt whatsoever. And I think that the team desperately needs just bodies that can play because we've seen so many injuries over the year. And like we've talked about with Brogdon, always hurt, and you never can rely on him to be healthy. And then lastly, three-point shooting. And this Rick Carlisle system, I get it. Buddy can be streaky at times, but when Buddy's on, Buddy is, you know, like our opening says here in the podcast, Mark, I think as Mark Jones said, hotter than fish grease. So it's like yep. he, he has the ability to light it up from downtown. I would prefer him potentially if he's willing to accept it in a six-man role, microwave guy off the bench that can get you 20 points any given night just because he's that hot of a shooter. And I just feel like with those combination of those three things, it makes a ton of more sense to keep him around than it does Malcolm Brogdon. Absolutely. When you, when you touched on the role part of it, that's that's very big because it would be hard to really – like when Brogdon came here, I do think there was a big part of him that wanted to be the guy. Yeah, we mm-hmm. talked about it, wanted to be a leader, all of that. Like, we, we've realized after a while that he's just not that guy. And there's there's nothing wrong with it. Brogdon's a really good player. But when you want someone like Tyrese Halliburton to potentially become that guy, unfortunately, I feel like it, it's got to lead to Brogdon going elsewhere. And, you know, two totally different players. But it reminds me of, you know, Monte Ellis. It was his team for the Warriors. But when Steph Curry was up and coming, it felt like in order for Steph to really blossom into Steph, you got to move Monte. And, yeah. you know, while they're two totally different players and all that, it just feels like a similar situation. Buddy Heald serves a need that the Pacers very much, you know, they have that need for, really need the three-point shooting. We talked about it. Carl wanted to shoot so many threes but didn't have three-point shooters. Well, Buddy Heald <laughs> quietly second in the league in three-pointers made. And, you know, it just feels like he's been in a losing environment for a while where it seems like he's much happier here. I think if, if the Pacers have a good role for him, uh, I think that he'd be far more likely to take a six-man role in Indiana than he would in Sacramento where you're <laughs> you're not competing. And, you know, in his mind, he's just stuck in the corner. Um, so <laughs> I just feel like with Buddy, there's always going to be a team that could use him if the Pacers want to shop him. But I think for right now, he's he's been a pretty pleasant surprise. Just like you mentioned, he's up and down. Probably yeah. always going to be that way. Yeah. But I, I do think that he went from being like the guy kind of attached to Halliburton in the beginning, like, oh, maybe he'll be moved to the deadline again to, hey, you know what? Like, it's a pretty talented player that that in the right situation, you know, could continue to grow and be a contributor for this team. And we have seen him grow. We've, we've touched on it. He's grown as a playmaker. He'll have random games where we'll have seven or eight rebounds over there. So, but we both know. He's best suited in being a six man. Yeah, that, fair. that's that's what it is. And I, I do think that if the Pacers 
are able to get a guy like Jaden Ivey and something like that, and you move Buddy to the bench, I think it's a move that overall just best suits this team. Yeah, and like you said, like it was so awful at the beginning of the year watching some of these guys try to knock down three-pointers. Like nothing more infuriating than watching TJ McConnell take 20 seconds to get a shot in place just to flip it and hit it off the front of the rim or the back of the rim. Mm -hmm. Uh, Same with Sabonis. Like (laughs) I'm not trying to, you know, dog Sabonis, but he just wasn't a three-point shooter. And there was times there where he was like airballing threes when he was tired or, you know, go multiple games with just not hitting anything. And then there'd be games where he hit some, but it's like, uh, you always felt better when he'd shoot versus McConnell, but that's not really saying much. And then with Justin Holiday this year, I mean, Justin Holiday was not good from three-point lane whatsoever. Uh, he had a couple of games where he kind of went off, but this year he really struggled on that end. And I think a lot of that was just wear and tear on the body because he was playing a much bigger role over the last two seasons that he really shouldn't have been playing. So, you know, I get what you're saying. Buddy Hill is probably the team's best shooter. I don't think that's really a, a debate. No. Um, you know, Dwayne Washington Jr., he went kind of like he had a little bit of a streak there, too. He did. But I do think that, you know, that'd be a great person for Dwayne to kind of learn from. I know people are probably laughing at me if they're listening to this from the King side of things. But, I mean, Dwayne Washington Jr., like his ceiling probably is, but he also it's like, you know, that's that's just kind of like me talking out loud, thinking out loud. But honestly, I just I love watching Buddy play. He plays a game with a joy. And I think Rick Carlisle will talk about that. But it's true. I mean, Buddy's always smiling on the court when he plays with the Pacers. So I'm I'm all for that positive energy. I, I think we need to get rid of the guys that kind of bring a negative energy to this team a little bit like kind of like, you know, I think Brogdon kind of kind of feels like he brings a negative energy just because he's so kind of like nonchalant about everything. Yeah. You never see any emotion on him. Where Buddy, you see him kind of like get into it a little bit with some of the big guys when they don't run the play right. Like you just I like seeing the emotion. I like seeing the passion because at least, I, at least it makes you feel like you know that he cares. Of course. And that, that's what we're looking for. Look, it could be a long season, especially when we're getting blown out. But you got to know that guys care. And Buddy out there gener- genuinely looks like he's having fun. But also, one difference between Buddy and Brogdon in this, this season, you know, it, it won't tell the full story. But Brogdon's three-point percentage has actually fallen off of a cliff. Brogdon right this year shot 31% from three. Oh. I mean, that is not, you know, you know anywhere close to vintage Brogdon. In 2020, he shot just under 39%, which is great. But then the yeah. year before that, he shot just under 33%. So it's just like, hey, look, when it comes down to, you know, two totally different players over there and the Pacers need for three-point shooting, we know that Brogdon would be better in an off-ball situation that he played in Milwaukee like that. And I'm sure that would help his numbers. But for right now, you know, you look at this team – if you're trying to compare, hey, three-point shooters, we got Buddy Heald, and then we got Dwayne Washington, and we got a problem, and we need some more shooters in there. So it's important to have Buddy for now, at least. Absolutely. Are you ready to move on to the next person I, I talk I about? I am ready. All right, this is your guy, born ready, Lance Stevenson. Yep, yep. Um, I'll let you take this one first so I don't steal all the thunder. <laughs> yeah, sure. So one of the lines that we want to hear most is that, said that Lance Stevenson wants to re-sign with the Pacers regardless of a rebuild or not. Quote, ultimately, he wants to spend the rest of his career in Indiana. I know there is so many fans out there that hear that and want to run through a wall because all we want is for our very own to want to be here. And the Pacers, hey, unfortunately, you know, whether we want to say it or not, we've been that team that's kind of gotten – 
stood up at the, at the at the dance by the you know the girl that you, that you have a crush on, whether it's Oladipo or Paul George. You know, we've seen others leave, and it hurts. Yeah. So here in Lance, a three-time Pacer saying, "I don't care, rebuild or not, I want to be here." It, it it feels good to hear that, and <laughs> people could be very split on it because look, if we're going in that direction, is Lance really the guy you want over there? You know, here's what I'll say. He's been a good veteran this year. And, you know, I, I've, I've enjoyed it. Uh, his production has actually been pretty good. It's not like this is just some, you know, selling tickets type of thing. You're getting the, your ups and you're, your your downs for sure. In the beginning, I do believe this was about tickets. It was like, oh, my God, the fan base is turning on us quick. But for Lance Stevenson type numbers over here, we're talking about with the Pacers averaging nine and a half points on 45% shooting. I mean, he's had big moments, you know, but overall, I think that he's been a positive impact on the team in what's been a really dark year. Yeah. And I thought, I thought one of the most interesting parts of this podcast that I listened to was when Carlisle brought up uh, Herb Simon's role in bringing Lance Stevenson back. He said um, he was told Simon was a big proponent of bringing Lance back. So he believes that it'll come down to Herb Simon's want versus uh, Rick Carlisle's one in, in terms of if Lance Stevenson comes back. So, I mean, I can understand why Carlisle's like, look, he's not a great three-point shooter. He does have some moments where the crowd feeds off his energy, but he's, you know, sometimes he's kind of more of a meme than he is an impactful player. Well, for the last night against the Nuggets where he doesn't get elbowed in the head and that makes all the news because <laughs> Austin Rivers gets thrown out. So yeah. there's always going to be a little bit of that Lance in there, you know. But I'm like not <laughs> Exactly. Look, like we're not always going to be highlighting his game. Sometimes it's going to be, you know, playing the air guitar or something like that. But I, I see how his impact on, on the, the actual team, you see that the bench – it always feels like they're into it. They're standing up. They're, they're, it wasn't like that in the first half of the year. When things were getting rough, it was like team was getting quiet. And I feel like when Lance got there, he brought like, I don't know, he brought a l- little bit of a, you know, I feel like players were having fun again, despite the losses. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point. I think also too, Lance just brings the energy to the team. He's an infectious personality in a good way. It's like his first week back he already had teammates playing the air guitar on the bench. Yep. So that's just what he does. And I, and I think that whether you like Lance or not, I think bringing him back as like a 14th, 15th man on a team, whether they're rebuilding or trying to make the playoffs, I think he can fit either role. Like he, like he feels. So um, we got a couple more things to talk about here quickly. Let's move over to TJ Warren real quick. Fachi. Um, not too much here. Obviously I think we've all talked about this. Like what kind of contract is he going to get? Uh, Agnes brought up the idea of him getting a one plus one with a team option, which I think makes a lot of sense. He also talked about the Oladipo prove it um, league minimum contract here with him missing the last two seasons. So honestly, it really, to me, would be interesting what TJ Warren wants, what the Pacers are able to do in free agency. And if there's not a better option out there, I'm fine with giving him a decent contract. But you, uh, you and me debated on this one a little bit before, and I was like, I don't think you can give him less than what he already made last year and not make it feel like a slap in the face. But um, I think at this point it probably has to be because he's got a lot more to prove than the Pacers do to prove to him that they want to keep him. Yeah. I mean, look, that's, that's the thing is just, this is a guy who's played four games in two years and the Pacers are stuck by his side. I mean, what else were they going to do? It's not like they could get out of the contract, but it's like, I just feel like they've supported him 
they, I feel like we obviously, you know, oh man, it feels like once a week we're saying, Hey, I'm not a doctor, but it's like, we don't know what went on in that medical room. Maybe the Pacers were just always playing it safe being like, Hey, look, there's, there's something bigger out there. We're not going to just force you back. I'm sure he was frustrated. He could not come back, but the fact that they've stayed by his side and we've heard that Warren wants to be here, you know, as time goes on and we have the cap space and a weak free agency class, and it makes me feel like, yeah, what if you did just give him the same amount of money that he made this year, which is like, you know, basically just over $13 million and then a team option. At that point, the Pacers are saying, hey, look, this is a guy that could be huge for us. We stick by his side over here. You know, it could work out. And it's not that Oladipo $125 million deal that could really sink the team. Yeah. No, and I agree with that. It's just really interesting because. You know, T.J. Warren, when he plays, I mean, this team is much better. There's no doubt about they it. Are. I just I just can't rely on him. He's Mr. I, unreliable. I it, He's more unreliable than Malcolm Brogdon. <laughs> I mean. It's, it's sad, but half the roster is unreliable. I mean. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who I can rely on, you know. I mean. Buddy Heal. Tyrese I was about to say, you know, <laughs> at least guys that show up day in, day out, those two have. I mean, yeah. they, they really have. I, I've enjoyed watching their play. They're, they're the, the two guys that have not been on – Injury report, injury report for any type of reason or you know, whatever it is, they, they battled through their injuries. They haven't missed games. So that's great. With Warren, it's been so long that it almost feels like a distant memory. But I just feel like here's the thing. If you look yourself in the mirror and you say, yes, we have cap space, but then who's coming? Right now, this is not an appealing spot to be in right now. It, it stinks. I look forward to Indiana being an appealing spot again. You have Halliburton, which I think that some guys will want to play with, but he still has stuff to prove. So I think that T.J. Warren being a guy that wants to be here, a guy that had been our leading scorer before, if you're talking about a one plus one you know, deal, one year and then a team option over there, and you're keeping it reasonable, which I feel like in no scenario should T.J. Warren deserve a raise, no offense, and I don't think he'd take that you know, offensive, but you either give him what he made before or you actually you give him less and you say, hey, we want to make this work because I don't think there's going to be teams out there that are throwing them a bunch of money because not that many teams have money to throw. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, speaking of teams, speaking of people that could get money thrown at them is another guy they talked about, and that was Jalen Smith, his free agency. Obviously, it's a very tough situation. Um, only can get $4.67 million for the next season from the Pacers. So, obviously, I think there are teams that can offer more than that. Um, you know, Agnes brought up, you know, that they could offer him a total of a four-year deal for about $21 million. He said, but I don't think he's going to settle for that. He can do better than that, which I agree with, especially seeing that he was drafted 10th overall just two years ago. So it's a, it's a bit surprising that the Suns did what they did. We've already talked about this at nauseum. So I uh, don't want to get too much into it, but, you know, I think the, I think it still feels like it's unlikely that he comes back, but I would love it if he would just give us a chance with a prove it year deal because I really do believe in him as a young prospect. Oh, it it stinks what the Suns did because when I mentioned the cap space that we have, Jalen Smith would be the perfect guy to use it on. You know, it, it, he really would. Yeah, and, you're right. And it's just like, man, we're gonna try and ask this guy to to take like a you know a four year twenty one million dollar deal. Like you can't really ask someone to do that when they're hitting free agency. This would be the first big contract that he signs, you know, given that he only got two of the four years, you know, on his rookie deal. So I, I think he's going to just simply go to the highest bidder. And I do think that he's going to have, you know, teams that are interested. 
So at this point, I, I just don't see a scenario where he's he's coming back to Indiana. I would love if he would because I, I believe in him. I think he's going to take off from here. And wherever he's going to go, I think he's going to go with a true opportunity to play. But yeah. it's, it's just a shame for us because that's the kind of young guy we would love to keep with this core. Um, but I, I just don't think it's going to work out financially. Yeah, and unfortunately, the Pacers weren't able to do like a three-team deal where he went somewhere else, and then they were able just to get off Torrey Craig's contract. Yeah. You know, that would have been awesome. That way they could have been the team that had the cap space to sign him outright and not only be capped at the $4.67 million. But it is what it is. So I think last thing here, they obviously talked about Ricky Rubio. That's not going to happen, so let's just no, keep it no, moving. Um, they talked about the biggest needs for the Pacers with the $22 million in cap space, and Agnes brought up they need a Paul George type of player now that they've got Halliburton. He threw out the idea of Keegan Murray from Iowa as a name that he thinks could be that player. I will just push back on this a little bit. I think that Paul George, Danny Granger, those type of players were incredibly special. I don't necessarily see that same ceiling for Keegan Murray. From what I've seen, I don't think he's there defensively at all to what those guys were. I mean, maybe he can develop into that. But to me right now, I just feel like Keegan Murray is a really good player. Um, but I don't necessarily think he can reach the levels of um, Paul George at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, here's here's some of the things. You know, with Granger, later pick, I believe he was like 17th overall, like right in that range. I know he had a little bit of injuries. Otherwise, he would have gone higher. Granger was, was unbelievable. I mean, an all-star Loved every second of, you know, of Danny Granger. Not those years, but of Danny Granger. Then Paul George, you're talking about the 10th overall pick. I think if Paul George was at a bigger school other than Fresno State, he probably goes higher. Mm -hmm. So, you know, super athletic over there. Keegan Murray, you know, I don't see that same type of athleticism. Uh, probably, honestly, what made me a little bit sour was he didn't play well in the opening uh, March Madness game. And I, I, I really believed in him in Iowa. So I thought they were going to be going a lot further. So that was that was a letdown. But you don't want to judge a player off of just one game because he had a really good year. Um, but Keegan Murray, I, I wouldn't be upset with Keegan Murray. But here's part of the reason why I'm trying. I'm starting to sell myself that Jaden Ivey's not going to be there at five, and that's if the Pacers can even get to five. If they yeah. can keep that, so. You know, and we, we can go, I mean, it could even be a, another segment, another show, whatever it is of how we think the top four is going to round out. But the first thing that's got to be is the Pacers have to be picking at least five in order to be in the running. So Murray could end up being the guy that, that's there that, you know, depending on where we're picking, if we're picking five, if we're picking six. But I'm still very intrigued by Shaden Sharp. If the Pacers can't get Jaden Ivey, um, Murray is definitely in the running, but he's not my top choice. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I mean, you can make the case for Murray, and I'm not going to do that. Because, I mean, he's he's tall. He can play in the post. He can shoot the three, put the ball on the floor. He's a three-level scorer, Fachi. I mean, yep. he can do a lot of good things. I just don't know if he has the athleticism um, and the uh, just the defensive prowess to be that kind of player that Danny and Paul were. But with that being said, um, Michael Scotto brought up Mark Williams from Duke as a guy that he would like. Um, I think that can make some sense if they move on from Turner. Obviously, he was mocked to the Pacers in the ESPN mock draft. But one of the more important things is this pick the Pacers have that belongs to the Cavaliers is lottery protected. And right now, things are not looking good. They're not. For the Cavaliers. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to wrap up this podcast looking at the East standings and what we 
no needs to happen for the Pacers to more than likely obtain this pick. We'll be right back after this. All right, Cleveland, we need you to start winning some basketball games here because the Cavaliers are now two games back of the sixth place Toronto Raptors. The, the Chicago Bulls are in fifth. They have the same record as Toronto, 44 and 32. The Cavaliers are 42 and 34 and only holding on to a two game lead over the Brooklyn Nets. Worst case scenario is Cleveland completely misses the playoffs. We don't get their first round draft pick and hope to make the playoffs next year. Best case scenario is the Cavs finish as the eighth seed. So we get the high, the, the, the best potential uh, non lottery pick. But the safest bet is for them just to squeak out and get a six seed, Fachi. So um, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but obviously the Cavaliers have been dealing with a lot of injuries right now. And it's really just come back to bite him in the butt. It really has. I mean, Evan Mobley just went down. He's going to miss a couple of games. They're still waiting to get Jared Allen. Uh, Karis Levert has definitely not been what they hoped for. Um, so over, I mean, they've just faced, I mean, obviously, you know, they lost Ricky Rubio in the beginning of the year. Like they, they've gone through a ton of injuries, but lately, I mean, the second half of the year has not been kind to Cleveland. There was a time where Cleveland was, in the three seed, and they were one and a half games out of first place. I remember it. They were like the talk of the town for a little bit. Um, but injuries have really bit them. They bit them hard. And at this point, it, it's getting scary because it seemed like such a lock the Pacers were going to get that pick. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, you know, they're, they're two games behind Toronto for six. And, you know, then they're, they're, they're two games up on Brooklyn. But, you know, you don't want to see – if the Cavs are in any scenario where they're playing Brooklyn in the play-in game, they're done. It's over. Yeah. So your your hope is that you're probably hoping that they face off against the Hawks at least. And even then, we're talking about a team that was in the conference finals last year that's underperformed all year. So it's not a good spot to be in. The Charlotte Hornets, if they face off against them, I mean, the Hornets are – they're they're an up-and-down team. I mean, they're frisky. They are. They, they, they could – the Hornets could be a team that, you know, you can make an argument that there, there's a bunch of teams that they could potentially either give give a lot of trouble to or maybe even win. But I wouldn't say that, hey, if the Cavs face off against the Hornets, like, that's a wrap. Cleveland has it. So, mm. I mean, I'm guilty. I've been counting my chickens before they hatched. I felt like that pick, I've already been like, man, you know, and we all have. What if we packaged the fifth overall pick in Cleveland's and we moved up? There might not even be a pick. So, yeah. it, it's a scary time right now, but I'm really hoping – that Cleveland can get it together. I do think Mobley's going to come back soon. I think Jared Allen is going to have to come back sooner than they hoped. And hopefully, like you mentioned, best-case scenario, maybe we're walking away with the 15th overall pick. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, looking at strength of schedule, Toronto, they're pretty much in the driver's seat. The toughest games for them, they got Miami, Atlanta, and Philadelphia, but they also have games against New York, Orlando, and Houston. Those should be... At least three wins right there. I don't see the Cavs being able to jump two games if the if the Raptors win at least three games and go 500. Um, the team that I'm keeping an eye on though here, Fachi, is Chicago because they have the second toughest strength of schedule remaining, and it's not going to get any easier because their easiest game is actually Thursday night, which is the we're recording this around 6:30. They play the Clippers, and the Clippers aren't a bad team. The Clippers just got Paul George back, former Indiana Pacer. If you hate Paul George, now is the perfect time to root for him if you're listening to this or hoping that he does well against Chicago because we really need the Clippers to win this game. Chicago also plays Miami, Milwaukee, Boston, Minnesota, and Charlotte. 
So all, all of these teams are going to be trying to win. So if there's some way the Chicago Bulls can go on like a, a big losing streak here to end the season, they've already been falling a little bit. You, you would hope the Cavaliers can at least potentially go three and three. They've got the 18th toughest remaining strength of schedule. Two easiest games are against Orlando and New York. I think I think New York will be a tough game for them because New York's still playing pretty well, but they've got Atlanta. I think that's a team they need to show that they can hold off. They've also got Brooklyn, Philadelphia, and Milwaukee. So like you said, Jared Allen has been the missing piece for this team. I think if Allen and Mobley are back, they can take Charlotte or Atlanta in a play-in game for the eighth seed if they don't beat Brooklyn for the seventh seed, but, or excuse me, if they don't, yeah, Brooklyn for the seventh seed. So it's, it's very tough here, Flachi, because your mind is just like, oh man, they're going to make the they're going to make it uh, the play-in tournament. I just feel like after seeing Atlanta, they have a horrible defense, but their offense to me is a much better offense than Charlotte's. I don't buy Charlotte as much as I buy Atlanta. And I think with Atlanta's experience in the playoffs last year to Charlotte's inexperience, I'm hoping that Charlotte beats Atlanta in a play-in. And then if the, the, um, the Cavaliers, lose to Brooklyn, they play Charlotte for the eight seed. Yeah, I mean, look, we're, we're hoping for a scenario where the Cavs could finish an eight. It would be great, but it's it's not going to be easy. We got some old-fashioned drama on our hands. This is going to come down to the very end. So, you know, Cleveland, they put themselves in a rough spot. When you mentioned Chicago, Alex, there's a big argument that could be made that they might be the fraud team in the NBA this year. Their record against the top four seeds in the East is horrendous. At one point yeah. – a couple of weeks ago it was one in 16 against the top four seeds. So they, they are not beating the really good teams, but they are winning the games that they should win. So if you look at it, you know, they're, they're pretty much, I mean, I'm looking at Chicago schedule. I mean, they, they're, they're beating your wizards. They're losing to, oh, to the Knicks. Lord. They beat the, the Cavs with like barely anyone in there, you know, lost to the Pelicans by 15, lost to Milwaukee by almost 30. I mean, there's, they're getting blown out by the good team. So that might be a team that can fall down a bit. They're only two games up on the Cavs. So it's very possible. So it's really hard to tell where Cleveland is going to finish, but they got to start winning soon. Yeah. And I'm not sure if Cleveland owns the tiebreaker over Chicago or not. I know they own it over Toronto, if I'm not mistaken. So that's also very intriguing. I think another thing to look at here, just real quickly, is the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Pacers, I believe, are three games back from them, if I'm not mistaken, in the in the, um, in the entire league. So it's it's not going to be easy. The Pacers are yeah. two and a half. They're two and a half yeah. back of OKC. But here's what I'll tell you. OKC's got a pretty lame schedule. Their remaining opponents, they got six games left. They got Detroit. They got the Blazers, who are trying so hard to lose. They've got the Clippers, and they've got the Lakers, okay? That's their easiest teams. They also play Utah and Phoenix. So I could see a scenario where they go three and three if, if the other teams are trying to lose. Um, it, yeah, it's a big if because so, OKC's injury report, it's lengthy. I mean, they're uh, throwing out guys that the average NBA fan has not heard of. Well, they just played the Blazers and, and beat them in overtime. So it was funny. I mean, it was uh, I was laughing. It was like the Drew Eubanks game versus uh, Maladon, or I don't even know if he played or not. That's how crazy it is. Um, but Detroit, you know, I mean, they've been playing better. It wouldn't surprise me if they won that game because they have no reason uh, 
to not try to win because of how far they are already where they're at. So it's just something I'm monitoring. Like, you know, the Pacers could be Detroit as well. They play Detroit. That's their only easy game. But Philly twice, Brooklyn once, and Boston is not an easy schedule for the Pacers. So the Pacers just lose out. You hope that something stupid happens with OKC, the Pacers jump into that four spot. That'd be massive. Uh, it really would. I want to lose out so we can get out of this misery because I just watched the Pacers erase a 31-point deficit to the Nuggets to take the lead by two. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, no, we've come way too far to win this game. And I don't want to be in that spot because erasing a 31-point deficit is, is insane. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But we've come too far at this point. We didn't tank as hard as we tanked against Sacramento. To, to just blow it, which even Sacramento has finally picked up a couple wins and they're off our backs now. So we're in a spot where, you know, it's 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 tough. I, I think if we can just continue to lose out, all we can do is worry about ourselves and hope Cleveland can worry about themselves. Luckily, they have a major incentive where they're really trying to make the playoffs. So yeah. it's not like a team that we're just hoping, well, you know, maybe if they can squeeze out one random win, it's like, no, they, they, they know that their season's pretty much on the line over the next week or so. So I'm really hoping it pays off, but uh, there's going to be uh, some, some questions we need answered, and we are running out of time. <laughs> Absolutely, Fachi. And speaking of running out of time, that is all the time we have for today's episode. So, Fachi, where can people find us at on social media? You can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And if you're rooting for the Bulls to lose the remainder of their games for the regular season, say these three words. Let's go Pacers! Let's go Cavs! This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.